Good morning, grace and peace from the Lord Jesus Christ to my brothers and sisters at Antioch Baptist Church in Yolanda, Kenya. Good morning. God bless you. I'm glad to be with you again this morning. We're going to continue our study of Paul's letter to the church at Rome. Today we pick up with chapter 2. Uh, we're going to look at about the first 11 verses, Lord willing. Let's remember, it's important always to remember in all our reading of Scripture that we must read it as a whole. And then likewise, when we're looking at particular books or letters, as the case may be, we need to look at the whole letter don't build a belief system or don't reach a conclusion based on one sentence or several sentences or several verses. That's especially true today because we're going to see Paul say something that sounds like on the face of it that he's contradicting what he has said in other places and what he will shortly say again in this letter. It's going to sound like he's saying that that God looks at us based upon our works, but that's not what he's teaching. You can't reasonably draw that from it because this is one verse out of many, and in this one verse or one section, we cannot develop a system of theology based only on it. Think of it this way. If you received a letter from a friend or a family member there's a statement made in one place, but that statement makes sense truly only when you read the entire letter and you see in other places uh, explanations that make it plain what the purpose of the letter is and what the person's position or beliefs are. So with that background, let's read our verses and then we will pray. Romans chapter 2, starting with verse 1. Therefore you have no excuse, O man, every one of you who judges. For in passing judgment on another you condemn yourself, because you, the judge, practice the very same things. We know that the judgment of God rightly falls on those who practice such things. Do you suppose, O man... You who judge those who practice such things and yet do them yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? But because of your hard and impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. He will render to each one according to his works. To those who by patience in well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, he will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, there will be wrath and fury. There will be tribulation and distress for every human being who does evil, the Jew first and also the Greek. 
but glory and honor and peace for everyone who does good, the Jew first and also the Greek, for God shows no partiality. Heavenly Father, open our hearts that we may receive the truth of your word that you've spoken to us this morning, fresh and alive and new from this letter written under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit many, many years ago. Help us to see and receive and be transformed by your living word. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. We always say when you see therefore, you need to know what it is there for. Uh, therefore, at the beginning of chapter 2, as I understand it, might well be rendered so, S-O. So you have no excuse. What is he referring to? He's referring back to chapter 1 where he's laid out all of the terrible sins that people have fallen into. And then he's saying, because you can imagine that that the people receiving this letter and truthfully we receiving the letter and reading it might start to form feelings of judgmental attitude toward those who did all these terrible things, thinking ourselves to be more righteous than that. But he quickly knocks that argument down and says, therefore, or so, so you have no excuse Hollis, you have no excuse, brothers and sisters at Antioch, every one of you who judges, for when you pass judgment on another, you condemn yourself. In other words, the judgment we're passing on others, we're passing on ourselves because we all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And if we have sinned at all, we have sinned in all. I'll say that again. If we have sinned at all, we have sinned in all. In other words, our status as sinners is one for us by one failure. And we had that failure even from birth because we were conceived in sin. But we also have engaged in one or more and really truthfully all of us in all ways that we've sinned and fallen short. He said in verse 2, we know that the judgment of God rightly falls on those who practice such things. In other words, let's let God judge because God has perfect vision. He knows how to judge and he knows how to judge correctly. Do you suppose, O oh man, you who judge those who practice such things and yet do them yourself that you will escape the judgment of God? Do you think by pretending that you're better that God's going to pass you by? No, of course he's not. God is completely just. That's his. He's just in every way. Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? In other words, are you counting on God's kindness to excuse you for doing what you're judging others for doing? No, we cannot count on that. God cannot simply uh, pass by our sins. We can't presume on his kindness in that way. His holiness demands that he treats sin uh, in a proper way. Uh, 
And so because of our hard and impenitent hearts, and that's what we have when we're judging other people and not seeing our own desperate need for the grace of God, we're storing up wrath for ourselves on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. We need to know that, that we're going to suffer that which we are judging others with. By the measure which we judge, we too will be judged. Uh, he will render to each one according to his works. And this is what I was speaking of earlier when I said that we might very well misconstrue these verses if we read them in isolation for from all of the rest of the letter. Uh, he will render to each one according to his works is not saying that we're saved by our works and that by works we will be rewarded or punished but that for those who are in Christ Jesus, good works are going to naturally flow just as fruit flows from a fruit tree, so does good works flow from a life that is hidden in Christ, from one who has been born again. Uh, to those who by patience and well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, he will give eternal life. Eternal life is not something we earn. It's given. It's given as a gift for by grace, Ephesians 2, 8, 9, we have been saved through faith and this not of your own doing. It also is a gift of God, not a result of work so that no one may boast. Listen, verse 10, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. In other words, as a response to our relationship to him, that those good works would characterize our lives, not to get us into the relationship, but because we have the relationship. He gives eternal life in Christ Jesus. Verse 8, But for those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, there will be wrath and fury. In other words, if, if we're not born again, born into the kingdom by trusting in the finished work of Jesus, then we're not going to obey the truth, but we're going to obey unrighteousness, and there will be wrath and fury. Not because God desires wrath and fury, but because God is a holy and just God, he can neither, uh, he, he can't ignore sin and he can't leave it unpunished. And he's provided the punishment for all sin by Jesus paying that price. But we have to receive that gift, the gift of God, the grace of God. And if we don't receive that gift, there will be wrath and fury not because that's what God wants, but because God is holy, and that's what happens when we're not uh, made clean by the blood of Jesus, by trusting in the finished work of Christ. And if we're in that category, there will be, verse 9, tribulation and distress for every human being who does evil and who is not covered by the blood of Christ, covered by the righteousness of Christ, and it will be true of both the Jews and the non-Jews. But, 
and this is a big this is a big point here glory and honor and peace for everyone who does good uh, glory and honor and peace for those who are trusting in Christ Jesus and uh, remember even that trust is a gift for God, from God and so we can't brag even in that and that just like the tribulation and distress is for the Jew and for the non-Jew. God shows no partiality, we see in verse 11. For those who are in Christ, then they are saved and, and they are freed from this. But those who are not in Christ, who have not received the gift that God has sent, God has provided, God has offered in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ, then they will suffer according to their failure to receive that gift that God made available at no cost uh, to them, to you or to I. So God is, is telling us here that we shouldn't be passing judgment on others. We should trust in the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and when we do that and when we're born again, the evidence of that new birth will be borne out in our lives. And if we have not been, that evidence also will be borne out in our lives and we will suffer according to it. For God is not uh, partial. He is fair to all, in all, for all time. God bless you and keep you and may these words transform your heart and my heart I thank you for being with me. God bless you. Praise God. Amen.